So I, I think I recognize most everyone's faces from last week, but just in case you weren't here, or maybe some people watching online, um, I am, my name's Chris. I'm a pastor at a church in Astoria, Oregon, uh, named Coastline Christian Fellowship. It's a, it's a Calvary Chapel church, just like this one. And I became friends with Rob and his family through a rather divine set, or divine appointment, if you will, in that when my wife and I were visiting the UK last March, um, we were looking for a church to go to on Sunday, and we looked for the nearest Calvary Chapel, and this was it. So we got in contact with Rob and showed up here, and basically his wife and uh, him and his daughter took us out, hung out with them for the day, and we've been friends ever since. So... Um, we communicate every now and then, uh, doing prayer together on Zoom and such. And so when he was leaving, or he had this trip to the Netherlands, he basically asked if I could come over here and fill in. And so uh, the Lord opened up that door, and we're over here doing some other things with our son, who's going to graduate this year, looking at some potential uh, schools over here. And so uh, anyways, it's, it's been a great trip, and uh, we'll be going home on Wednesday, but I'm really glad to be able to share the word with you again this Sunday. And uh, we have some friends with us, our friends, the Rashane family. They are missionaries, and they are visiting the UK at the same time. If, if anyone ever tells you following Jesus is boring, they're full of it, all right? Because if you're submitted to the Lord's will, God, following God is, is always an adventure. And we were just talking as we were walking through London yesterday, who would have thought a year ago that we're here in the UK together at this time? That's the kind of stuff God does. Like just, you follow him, it's exciting. So it's been really exciting. And one thing I, I wanted to mention too, I probably should have mentioned this last week. So when I talk about Jesus, I get really excited and my voice elevates. And it's not because I'm mad or yelling at you. Um, but my wife's told me this before. You need to let people know, like, you know, like, you know, like you're just getting excited or, or whatnot. And when I first became a pastor six years ago, I, I tried to be calmer when I was teaching. But one of the, this is one of the, the, the few times I've actually heard the Lord's voice audibly. I, in the middle of a teaching, I remember him telling me, why aren't you as excited teaching as you are when you talk to people about me? And for me, it was just like, just this reminder of I wasn't being who God truly made me to be because Jesus, God gives us things to be excited about in his word. So I'm not going to hold that back when I get excited. So just to let you know, if my voice gets loud, it's not because I'm mad or yelling at you. It's because I'm excited about what I'm talking about, all right? So um, just a reminder, we, we were in Romans 8 last week. That's where we're going to be this week. Uh, we got through around half the chapter. We're going to pick it up in verse 28 today. And we're seeing this great chapter of God's word where Paul is explaining to us the benefits we have of our salvation, the benefits we have of being in Jesus. And understanding these benefits are very critical because they affect the way we live our lives. Basically, some of the benefits we looked at last week free us from the guilt of our past because Paul told, told, tells us there's no condemnation for our sin. Because Jesus has paid the price for it in full. So you, you don't have to be guilty. You don't have to be condemned of it. And then the other part of what he accomplished on the cross is that he's freed us from the power of sin. So we aren't doomed to repeat the same mistakes. We can learn from them. And by the power of God's Holy Spirit, we don't have to continue to sin. We can live in freedom from it. 
And then he also has shared some benefits for us that free us from being discouraged or worrying in the present, um, especially when you're going through adversity or you're going through hard things, which can cause worry. They can cause d- discouragement. But because we are in Christ, we know that whatever hard thing you're going through, it eventually will end. It won't last forever. The world doesn't have that hope. As far as they know, they, they're going to suffer until their last breath. But for us, we realize that in Christ, our suffering, the hard things we go through as a result of living in a sinful world, are not going to last forever. The day, one day, either he's going to come to get us or we're going to go to be with him. And on that day, they're going to end for all eternity. So that's something to look forward to. And then also, when we are going through hard things here on this earth, we were reminded that we're not going through them alone. God's given us his Holy Spirit to help us, to comfort us, and to pray on our behalf. The Holy Spirit is constantly praying to God the Father on our behalf and asking for his good, pleasing, and perfect will to be accomplished in our life. And so today we're going to see Paul continue to give us additional benefits, just this chapter full of benefits, benefit on benefit of what we have in Christ and reasons that give us hope. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll pick it up in verse 28. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for all the hope that the, the sure expectation of good that we can expect, not because of us or anything we do or anything we've done or really even because we deserve it in any way, but all because of you, because of your grace, because of your mercy, because of your love for us, you've saved us. And through that salvation, you've made us your children and there is an inheritance through your word that we've received and we can be 100% confident in because you've said it and you will be faithful to keep these promises to us. So Lord, we wanna hear these things and not only believe them in our heads, but have them really be ingrained in our hearts so we can live in these assurances and have that hope that you intend us to have, Lord. So be with us as we hear your word today and really minister to us, especially if we've lost sight of these things, Lord. Help us believe them in faith and leave this place with that joy of the Lord, that peace of the Lord that you have, you want us to have, Lord, in you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Romans 8, 28, starting there, it says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So Paul tells us this next benefit we have as believers in Jesus, and another reason to be hopeful, especially when you're going through hard things in life, and that is God has promised to use the adversity in our lives for our good. God has promised to use the adversity in our lives for our good. So even though, as we learned last week in verse 17, we're gonna share in the same sufferings as Jesus. We're, we're gonna go through the same hard things Jesus went through. Paul tells us here in verse 28 that God is able to use even the hard things we face for our good. In fact, what Paul says here is that those who love God, he is working all things, which is not some things, all right? Note that, it says he's working all things going on in our lives and around us for our good, according to his purpose. And that's a key point to note too, according to his purpose or according to his will, because what that means is things aren't always going to work out the way you want. 
because that might not be what's best for you and God knows better than we do what that is. But it does mean they will always work out in a way that is good, pleasing, and perfect because Romans 12, 2 tells us that's what God's will is for your life. And I want you to note that Paul says that this is something in verse 28 that we know or that we can be confident in, not only because God has said it, and if he says it, he's not a liar, he will keep that promise, but also because he's more than proved his commitment to ensuring he has your best interests in mind by being willing to sacrifice his one and only son, Jesus, for your benefit. That's what Paul's gonna tell us later on in verse 32, but he's more than proved he has your best interests in mind, He'll keep his word because he's not a liar, but also your testimonies in your life personally. If you really truthfully look back at so many situations in your life that appeared bad and hard at first, you can see the good things that God has done out of those later on, looking back in hindsight. And basically, his past faithfulness is what demands our present trust. His past faithfulness demands our present trust. Now, this does not say, Romans 8, 28 does not say that all things will be good, all right? I wanna make that distinguishing because all things are not good in life. All things will work together for good, but not all things are good because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And the result of sin is bad things. That's why God hates it so much. And there's a big difference. I look back at my life. One of the hard things I went through is my parents got a divorce when I was 10 and my dad took off and I, he was never there for the rest of my life. That was not a good thing. That was not God's will. And that brought suffering in my life as a result. But even before I was saved, because I wasn't saved at that point, I can see now how God was using that for good in my life because it caused my grandfather to step in as a father figure in my life. And he raised me in a much better way than my biological dad ever could have. And it ultimately directed me down a path that ultimately got me to where I am today, which is right where the Lord wanted me. I may have had some temporary loss in my life due to that hardship. And I use that word temporary because my perspective on it has changed over time in that the things I thought I was losing out on with my dad not being around, weren't really losses at all compared to everything I gained through my grandfather doing such a great job to raise me. And now, I'm clearly able to see the same thing Joseph saw at the end of all the hardship he went through back in Genesis, where in Genesis 50, 20, he understood that what the enemy meant for evil, God used for good. And I point that out because the hard things that you go through in life are more certainly not good. And I'm not trying to you know, minimize that you're going through hard things because they are hard and they feel hard when you're going through them. But because you're a child of God, you have the benefit of being able to be absolutely confident that one day you will get to see him use those difficulties for your good. And if you haven't seen the good yet, something I always try to remind myself is, is my focus in the right place? Is it, is it focusing on the things that I don't like, that I don't understand that are happening? Or is it focused on God who is in control of those things? Because when my focus goes to God, he helps me see the things he's teaching me and the things that I'm missing because I'm focused on what I think I'm losing instead of 
what he's gaining for me through him. And if you haven't seen it yet, maybe because God hasn't revealed those things to us yet, I can say with 100% confidence that you will one day because I have that testimony over and over in my life. And because I've seen God do that, I can say with absolute faith that you will see it in your life too. In fact, I can say that some of the greatest good that God has done in my life has come out of the most difficult things that at the time, I didn't see how anything good could come out of those things. But eventually, I have a testimony to God's faithfulness in keeping his, this promise to me to work all things for good in my life. And again, it's so important to understand this truth because when you're going through the midst of that hard thing, we want to have that proper perspective of going to God and going like, okay, Lord, this is hard. This is difficult. I don't understand, but I trust you. And I need you to help me understand what it is you're teaching me, what you're doing in this, and then wait upon him to do that. And he will. And that will, as you're looking to him to help you endure and persevere, he will help you do that. And he'll show you the things he's doing along the way. Amen? All right, men. So Paul goes on to tell us, verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So Paul tells us the next benefit we have in Jesus here. And the next reason in today's text that we've been given to be hopeful, even in the midst of hard things, and that is God is in total control of your life. God is in total control of your life. And here's the thing. God did not save you into a loving relationship with him just to go ahead and abandon you in the midst of the difficulties you have to face in this world. And here in verse 29 through 30, we see the entire plan of salvation for us by God from beginning to end. Verse 29 telling us that he foreknew you, and as such he predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son or to become like Jesus so that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, or so that you could become a child of God. Now, let's pretend that you had absolute foreknowledge, as God does, all right? If you knew everything like he does, for, that's what foreknowledge means. Basically, God knows everything that's going to happen, past, present, future. He sees it all. That would mean that, do you guys have the lottery here? Like, okay. So that would mean that playing the lottery would never be gambling for you because you'd always know what numbers to pick, right? So in like manner with God, he predestined you or it was predetermined by God for you to become like Jesus as he knew that that would absolutely happen, that in essence, you would make it. And Paul understood this because he says in Philippians 1.6, and I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And this is glorious news to us because the enemy, when we drop the ball and we mess up, always wants us to believe that somehow we're losers, okay? That we don't deserve to be saved and we don't deserve to be saved. It's by God's grace. But what this tells us is God looks at you and without a shadow of doubt, he says, you're a winner. You're gonna finish the race because God's gonna ensure it. 
But you need to also understand this isn't because of anything good in you and me, but rather despite all the bad in us that God sees ahead of time, he still predestined us because of his mercy and compassion. As Paul tells us in Romans 5.8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. While we were at our worst, God did this. And that means we're truly trophies of his grace. And then it says, according to verse 30, God called you because quite frankly, you would have never given God the time of the day had he not reached out and called you and drew you to himself. As Paul tells us in Romans 3.11, no one's seeking God. Now, if somebody calls you on the phone, what do you have to do to engage in that relationship? You have to answer, right? You got to pick up that call, right? And in like manner, when God calls us, we have a responsibility to pick up the phone, if you will, when he reaches out. And this is where our free will comes into play regarding our salvation. As Jesus tells us in John 3, 16 through 20, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people love the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it, for fear their sins will be exposed. So through God's foreknowledge, God sees the person who wants to continue to walk in the darkness rather than picking up the phone, if you will. And he also sees the person who wants to answer the call and come into the light. And this, at least in part, plays into who God has predestined and called to be a part of his family. And you who have been called and responded to that call have also been justified, as it says here, through your faith in Jesus. And that's a big word that just means you've been made just as if you had no sin at all. And one day, it says you'll be glorified when you are with the Lord face to face, as Paul says in verse 30. But I want you to note how God uses that word. It's in the present tense, as if you already are glorified, all right? He calls it like you're like it's really taken place because God most certainly knows that it will happen one day. He will ensure that. And I, I want you to take the time now to look at your spouse or look at your neighbor that's sitting next to you because from your perspective, that person might be far from glorified, all right? But this is important. It doesn't really matter what we see. It's how God sees them in his son. And when we look to God to help us see people from that right perspective, other believers, it'll save us from casting stones at them when they fall short or where they give in to sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. In verse 29 through 30, it really shows us how God truly is the author and finisher of our faith, as Hebrews 12, 2 tells us, from beginning to end. Amen? Now, you might be somebody that's visiting today. And maybe you've never heard the good news about Jesus. Or you'd be somebody that has not placed your faith in Jesus. And you hear this passage and you become a little 
worried, questioning, well, am I one of the ones that's predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus? And what I would tell you is that is the wrong question to worry about. Because what Paul tells us a little further in Romans 10, 12 through 13 is if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For any, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what matters is this morning, whether you've never heard the good news, you've heard it this morning. And so the only thing you need to worry about or be concerned with is you need to answer the call by repenting of your sin or placing your faith in Jesus to save you from it. And what will happen is you will be justified or made just as if you had no sin through his sacrifice on the cross and become a child of God. Amen? Amen. And we see, so we, we've seen Paul give us, like I said at the beginning, re- reasons why we don't have to worry about our past mistakes. We've seen him reason, give us reasons why we don't have to worry in the present. We don't have to be anxious even when we're facing hard things. And now we're gonna see him give us reasons why no matter what you're going through, you don't have to worry about the future or what's on the horizon because he's also given us reasons to be hopeful regarding that as well. So the next benefit we have through our faith in Jesus and, the, and, and a reason to expect things to work out in our favor, no matter what might be going on, is that we can't lose. That's what I want you to know. We can't lose. As Paul goes on to say in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, even though God has every reason to be against us because of our sin, what the book of Romans clearly tells us is that's not the case. Paul has gone to great lengths in the first eight chapters to explain how God has done everything necessary to save us from the judgment and death our sin deserves and to equip us to live in the victory over our flesh. And in reflecting on the mercy and grace that has been shown to him, Paul here is left speechless in verse 31, by God's goodness, not knowing what to say other than coming to the conclusion that God is most certainly for us who are in Jesus. Though I do want you to note the if in verse 31 is God isn't just for anyone, but rather those of us that are placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. There's lots of organizations out there. Hamas is an example, and many other terrorist organizations that are following false religions that think God is for them in the horrible atrocities that they're committing. But just because God, God, somebody says or somebody thinks God is for them does not mean he actually is. Is God can only be for us if we've been reconciled to him through our faith in Jesus. As Jesus tells us in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except me. He's the only way to be reconciled to God. But since we that are in Jesus can be 100% absolutely sure that God is in fact for us, Paul, in response to that truth, asks the rhetorical question, who can be against us in verse 31? And this isn't saying 
that people aren't gonna come against you in life because you've already experienced that. People most certainly will come against you in life. But what it is saying is, if God's for you, does it really matter if anyone else comes against you? As having God on your side means that you cannot be defeated. You see, we often struggle with feelings of depression or anxiety because we worry something bad is going to happen to us in, in, in you know, an adversity we face or something we don't understand. And if we are worried about something bad happening to us, ultimately, it's coming from a place of doubting that God is really for you and me. And this is often caused by thinking that we deserve some sort of punishment because of our inability to live perfectly righteous lives or because of mistakes we make sometimes. But John tells us in 1 John 4.18, such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced the perfect, his perfect love. Now, the perfect love God's talking about is the perfect love he's shown you through allowing his son to die in your place to take the penalty our, our sins deserved, right? And because Jesus took that punishment, our sin deserved on the cross, God can look, us, look at us as already perfect in Jesus, and therefore, we no longer deserve any punishment for the things that we do wrong. And because of that, we have no reason to be fearful in any adversity we might face, but rather can have a 100% faith in knowing that God is for us in any given situation and going to work things for our good, as Paul Zerthy told us in verse 28. Even if it doesn't appear that way at the time, in our own limited understanding, one day we will always see that prove to be true. And God has already given us all the proof we should need that he is for us. As Paul goes on to tell us in verse 32, he says, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? When Maybe you guys can relate to this. When we do Christmas or birthdays, whatever, we always save the best present we give to our kids for the last present that we give them because we don't want them to be disappointed in all the lesser gifts. So the big gift always gets kind of hidden or they, so they don't know, right? Well, God did something opposite. God purposely gave you the greatest gift he could first and foremost so that anything he did for you after the fact would be far less in comparison. So that you could have confidence in knowing if he was willing to give you the ultimate gift when you were at your worst, when you were still in sin, when you didn't deserve it, he most certainly will give you the lesser gifts involved with taking care of you in the midst of any hard thing you're going through now that he sees you as perfect through his son, Jesus, who you placed your faith in. You never have to question what is going on, no matter how bad it might seem, because anything God seemingly takes or withholds from us cannot even come close to everything he has given you through your faith in Jesus Christ. God has already given you the best thing you could ever receive in giving you his son. And surely, if he's given you the greatest thing, he's not gonna withhold anything else that he knows is good for you in your life. And the Psalms actually tell us this. Psalm 8411 says, for the Lord God is our sun and our shield. 
He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. I love that. The Lord God's our son. The son is what sustains things. It, it gives life, right? So he's the one that provides for us and sustains us. And he's also our shield. The shield's meant to protect. He's our protection. And he gives us his grace or his favor and his glory. And if there is a good thing for you, God is not gonna hold it from you. Now, certainly there's bad things that come because we live in a sinful, fallen world. Sometimes we bring those bad things upon ourselves when we are guilty of sin. But God is even big enough to work those bad things for our good, as we've already talked about. But he will not withhold anything good from his children that are so precious to him that he's more than demonstrated through giving his son for us. Amen? Now, the next benefit of our salvation that gives us a reason to be hopeful in the future, no matter what difficulty we're facing, is that our status with God is secure. Our status with God is secure. As Paul goes on to say in verse 33 through 34, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So because you are in Christ, God's opinion of you will never change. And that is that you are not guilty of any sin. And since God is the only judge that truly matters and has in fact declared you justified or just as if you had no sin, then who's left to condemn you, as Paul says in verse 33? Now, obviously, again, this doesn't mean people won't come at you. They won't accuse you. They won't condemn you or be critical of you. But God never will be as your standing with him is secure in Christ. And how he sees you matters more so than anyone else or what they think. And it is, in fact, Jesus himself, who it says is at the right hand of God, the Father right now in heaven, that is interceding for us or that defends us, as Paul says in verse 34, against anyone that would try to condemn us. The Bible telling us in Revelation 12, 10, that Satan himself is bringing accusations against us to God day and night. But when Satan goes to God and he says, look at Chris, look at his sin, God's response is, I don't know what you're talking about. All I see is my son. That's what, that's what Jesus is interceding for us because of his work on the cross that did everything so that our, our, our standing with God is secure. It made me think about when I see my kids through the lens of the unconditional love I have for them, and you guys can probably relate to this, I, I, I only think good thoughts about them. It doesn't mean like because of my sinful nature, I don't get angry. But what I mean by that is that even when they mess up, it doesn't change the fact that I'm always for them and never against them. Now, they don't experience that from other people in life. I, I can think of my boys are all very involved in athletics, and sometimes they have teammates that, instead of being supportive, are critical of them. And I try to be a real encouragement to them by telling them that the good things I see, the positive things, and exhort them, just keep doing your best. Don't listen to the critics because their opinion doesn't really matter. Well, your Father in heaven sees you as perfect through the lens of his Son, and at the end of the day, he only has positive things to encourage you in through his word that are meant to keep you following him and doing what he says. 
And even though you surely are gonna face critics in this world from time to time, the opinion that matters more so than anyone else's by a long shot is God's. And you can confidently be sure how he feels about you and find security in that. And that is another truth that produces so much freedom in our lives because we have this problem of being more fearful of people than of God and and really caring what they think. And I can tell you when I first became a pastor, it was crippling to me. I dreaded every time I got up here because I was so worried about what other people were thinking about me, that I wasn't gonna disappoint them, and it made me really hate doing this. And another time, I heard the Lord audibly speak to me. It's often when I'm teaching, and he's teaching me. But I remember him saying, if it's really about my glory, then why are you so worried what people think about you? Because I would say in my head, oh Lord, it's about your glory. I just want you to be glorified. It doesn't matter what people think about me but my fear was indicating something different. And the light just clicked, where it was like, well, wait, I'm just called to rightly divide the word. I'm, I'm called to just teach his word. And if I'm doing what God's told me to do, then whatever people think, that's on them. That's between them. But like, that's how I glorify God. So, and all of a sudden, what I hated doing so much became really fun because I wasn't so focused on, being fearful of people, I, I was reverent and fearful to God, and that's all that mattered. I knew how he felt about me. I knew where my identity was in him, and that freed me, and that can free us all in life from so much, right? Now, the last benefit of being in Christ that Paul talks about here that gives us reason to be hopeful no matter what we're facing is that God's love for you is never-ending. God's love for you is never-ending. As Paul goes on to say in verses 35 through 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, the idea of being too poor to have clothing or danger or sword or execution? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, or demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, the ideas, the powers of hell, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, one of the questions somebody might naturally have after hearing all these benefits we have in Christ, especially the benefit of knowing that God's for you and he's not against you, as Paul told us in verse 31, is why do believers even have to go through hard things then? I mean, God's in control and he's on our side, so why can't he just like make sure that everything in our life is, is good and we don't ever have to face any hard things? And so Paul, what he tells us here, he goes down this list of a bunch of the difficulties that we can face in this world in verse 35, and he, and he quotes Psalm 4411 in verse 36 to show that like, this is what it feels like sometimes, right? We feel like sheep being led to the slaughter. That's when you're going through something hard, it can feel like that. And I want you to keep in mind that Paul's speaking from experience. He's listing these things that he's faced, right? He's gone through almost all these things in his life except being executed, but that eventually did happen. So he's speaking from firsthand experience. In his conclusion, as to why God allows us to go through suffering in this world is so that we can show 
everyone around us that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, as he says in verse 37, or that it's through the hard things that we face in this life that God is going to be able to show you and everyone else just how much he loves you as none of those hardships we face in this world ever separate us from the love of God, as Paul says in verse 39, as he leads us through those hard things into the victory he's already won us over them, all right? Sometimes we forget that as followers of Jesus, we're called to be sheep rather than conquerors, all right? You see someone, when someone's aim is to conquer, when they're faced with something difficult in front of them or adversity, they come out flexing their muscles. They come out like, I'm going to tackle this thing. I'm going to conquer it, you know, trying to win a victory over whatever or whoever's coming at them. And that's quite the opposite of how a sheep, which you guys should understand that because I see them all over this country, reacts when they're faced with something scary or adverse, right? And what I would say is Jesus, who is our example to follow, when he came to this earth in his first coming, he came as a spotless lamb. He came only living to follow the Father's will, which was to die to himself for the sake of others. And that is the example we've been given to follow, right? Now, in his second coming, he is going to come as a conquering king, but not in his first coming. Our goal as believers is never to try to conquer the hardships we face in life. Now, you can try, but maybe you've experienced that. Yeah, it usually leads to frustration and disappointment, and the results won't nearly be as good as they are if we just look to Jesus to be our shepherd to guide us and protect us in that adversity we're facing. And if you've read Psalm 23, David tells us that exact same thing. Instead of being conquerors, we're called to be more than conquerors, as verse 37 says. And the big difference between the two is that you're not fighting for a victory in any hard thing you're facing in this life. You already have the victory because of Jesus. So you're fighting from the victory. He's already won us. Because we are in Christ, we are in fact guaranteed to overcome any hardship we face in this world from the moment you're saved to the moment you see Jesus face to face. And this isn't accomplished by us conquering anything in our own power, but rather by the great power of God that he's enabled you to have through his Holy Spirit inside of you that is gonna help you endure spirit supernaturally and persevere through any difficulty you're facing, right? It's through this great motivation God's given you in that anything hard you're going through, he's gonna work it for your good so it's not wasted and that he's gonna actually use the hard things to reveal himself to other people. He's gonna glorify himself through the hard things you go through with him. Also through the great victory God's promised us, because he's promised us victory, we can know, even if it doesn't look this way, we can never lose anything of value in this world. Everything of value that God has been given to you, eternal value, which matters because that's what you're gonna be enjoying for all of eternity, that cannot be taken away from you because God's the one that's given it to you, all right? And then of the great love God has promised to show us, especially in the midst of hard things, because as the word says, he's near to the brokenhearted. He's near to those going through difficulties. God, it's in the hardest things that God 
shows his compassion and his love to you, as he helps you through it, as he comforts you in, in a way that no one else ever could. And that love is so great that it has the power to conquer and convert the worst of our enemies when they see him showing it to us in the difficulties we go through. So it's all by him, all right? That's what it means to be more than conquerors. It's not by us. And I'm gonna leave you with this. Daniel, in Daniel 3, I'm not gonna go through the whole thing, but it should be a pretty familiar passage. You could read it later, but it, it, he, it gives us a great example of what it looks like to be more than conquerors with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? As Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, throws them into a fiery furnace, and they don't put up any fight whatsoever other than they're just not willing to disobey God's word and worship an idol, right? He wants them to worship this golden statue, and, and, and he's just, they're just like, no, we can't do it. They're not nasty about it. They're not trying to argue. They're just like, no, the, we only worship our God, the only one and true God, right? And they very much appeared to be like sheep being led to the slaughter, right? Because he's like, all right, I'm going to throw you into the furnace. And he fires it, and it's super hot. But instead of the slaughter, the people there get to see their Savior and their shepherd. As in the midst of that trial, not only did God protect them from being harmed in the fire, but if you guys are familiar with that passage in, in Daniel 3.25, Nebuchadnezzar looks in the fire. He doesn't see three people. He sees four. And it says the fourth was like a god. Basically, Jesus met them, and, and the people around them got to see that. He got to see firsthand that nothing could separate God's people from him and his love for them. And like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you choose to trust God at his word in the midst of hard things, instead of trying to conquer it yourself, God will not only protect you and deliver you through that adversity, help see you through it, he will glorify himself by showing his great love uh, through you to those that are watching. And they're gonna be left like Nebuchadnezzar, where at the end of that, all he could say was, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any gods except their own God. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they will be torn limb from limb and their houses will be burned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. Amen. As I said at the beginning of this teaching, within Romans 8, Paul has given us the antidote or the remedy for depression and anxiety in life as we don't have to worry about the past because we've been freed from the guilt of our sin and his power over us through the cross, right? We don't have to worry about the present as our suffering won't last forever. We have the Holy Spirit to help us in it. God has promised to use the difficulties in our lives for our good, and he's in total control of our lives. And we don't have to worry about the future because there's no defeat in Jesus, and our status with him is secure, and we can never be separated from his love. And when these truths, we, we come to believe these, not just in our head, but we really believe them in our heart. Pastor Rob actually shared that to our church from Psalm 1 a couple weeks ago. Really, it was a blessing. But when we really do that, they leave no room 
for depression or anxiety in our lives. And we're left saying the same thing Paul says in Romans 8.31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much again for all you've done for us through the cross, Lord. You've given us so much hope. We were truly hopeless before you saved us. And it's all because of you. We give you all the glory. We didn't deserve to be saved. We didn't earn it. It was all by your grace and mercy, Lord. And we are so thankful that you saved us, Lord, that you called us. And through responding, you've justified us, that you see us as glorified, that you see us in your son, robed in his righteousness. And because of that, we have this close relationship that we want to make sure that we're abiding in, Lord. We don't want to rely on our own understanding. We want to trust in you and what your word says. We don't want to try to fight the battles of life. We want to look to Jesus and cling to him as he leads us through them because he's already won them for us. Lord, we want to remember that our understanding is always limited, that you're doing things that we can't even comprehend or imagine, but one day we will see them and we will praise you for them. And we want to praise you for them now. You've been nothing but faithful. You've given us no reason to doubt you at your word, and we want to believe it and live in it now, Lord. So Father, I pray that especially for anyone now that's going through something hard at this very moment, that these truths of your word would be like a... a glass of cold water on a hot day. It would just refresh them and encourage them. And they could leave here with the hope that can only come from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.